The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's Valero Texas Open. And joining me to break it all down, Greg Ducharme is here. Greg, what's up? Oh, this is um this is an interesting week for me for a couple of reasons. Reason one, uh, this feels a little bit like the last final before summer vacation. Right, you you feel I feel like it's a little hard to focus on the task at hand. My I'm, mind is full disclosure. My mind's on summer break, mm-hmm. which is not a it's far from a break, but it's it's on masters, and this is that last fine. Right, you got to make sure that you're focused. But as I look through the field today, I, I'm a, I'm kind of excited about this. I think it's going to be a great tournament, and I'm very interested in this um, in this player pool. So I'm excited to break it down today. The player pool got one golfer weaker. We'll talk about that here earlier. That news breaking on Monday. And Sia Najad joins us. Sia, what's going on? How are you, fellas? Greg, Rick. Can I just say my compliments on Sunday's recap show from last night? If anybody hasn't heard it, you really have to go back and watch it or listen to the podcast. You all covered WGC match play, Corrales. Mm -hmm. You covered a little bit of Valero, a little bit of the Masters, and... And the icing on the cake, Greg Ducharme's Nerf basketball prowess was absolutely the headliner. Please go back and listen to that show. Greg, the feedback we got about your Nerf skills, uh, it was like the highest engagement of anything we've done all year long. Wow. Uh, well, I'd love to know more. Maybe we could talk a little more about that. Off. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in hearing what all the feedback was, but I will say... <laughs> Um, as I refer, further reflect at, at my legacy, my career, I'm now retired, um, hopefully only for <laughs> a little bit of time. But um, yeah, dunk contest, three-point contest, one-on-one games were a big deal, free throw con all of that. Mm. All of that was, I, I would say, that I mastered in my home gym. Uh, and my poor dad, you know, I think about this now. I have two kids now, uh, under three, and my my three-year-old, when I come home, is... Oh, daddy, daddy, daddy. He's so excited to play. Can we come play cars with me? Come. And it's like, geez, dude, I just had a 12 hour day. Can I have a, can I have a minute? And mm. I did the same thing. My dad would come home. Okay, dad, we're going to play one on one upstairs. <laughs> get, go get changed. We're playing a 50 in a one on one game. And he'd never say, he'd never said no. So yeah, it was great, great times. Have you have you passed the the Nerf torch onto your own children yet? I know one one is uh, probably can't hold a Nerf ball yet, but yeah, has that, I have, have you started uh, that process? I've I've tried. I have a I, I do have a Nerf hoop hanging in the house, and maybe one day if I'm ever if I'm ever in the other uh, in the downstairs place, I'll show you. In fact, you can actually see the the one basketball hoop that that I always have behind me, yeah, and then, and then we have another one. one. So we're set up. The groundwork is laid, uh, and we're working we're working it in slowly. Right now, it seems to be more 
like you know, uh, Hot Wheels seem to go into the hoop a little bit more than mm. a basketball, but we're making some progress. Progress is all I ask for. Uh, we've got some stuff to give away. How, how about this? Am I reading this right? We're giving away year-long subscriptions to Sportsline, and all you have to do is pick the winner of the 2021 Masters. That's right. We love the Masters, and we want to give some love back to the people. So go write a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts for The First Cut, obviously. Leave your Twitter or Instagram handle so we can get in touch with you, and then tell us who's going to win the 2021 Masters. Here's the kicker. Producer Jacob tells me he will give a year-long subscription See ya to literally anyone who gets the winner right. So if we have to give out like a thousand of these things, we're going to have to give them out. You get it right. You get a year long subscription to Sportsline. That's quite the deal. I I think everybody should be participating in that. If you you all know how how good Sportsline has been doing and it kind of always does, you're going to want to get a piece of that. Uh, yeah, a year is also a very long time. That's that's not just for golf. That's for all the sports. It gets you rocking and rolling. And then finally, uh, you know what's going on. The, the madness continues into its final weekend, and the Eye on College Basketball podcast remains your audio guide for the entire NCAA tournament. Gary Parish and Nat, Matt Norlander, not Nat Morlander, which is what I was going to say, will offer extensive previews and breakdowns of the Final Four and the National Championship game. If you want the best March Madness analysis, follow the Eye on on college basketball podcast anywhere you find this one gentlemen it's valero texas open week greg as you mentioned this is an event that uh might be a little bit of a look ahead game but we are at tpc san antonio the place that we have been since the start of 2010 and what i want to do is i'm actually going to pull up uh some data visualizations from from my site here greg from from rickrungood.com so we can talk through tpc san antonio i can point out things as we go along here be a bit more interactive with the chat hey if you want to talk about carlos ortiz i see you in the chat we'll get to carlos ortiz but greg Let's start with what we expect from TPC San Antonio this week. This is, um, I find it to be an interesting course. It's a Greg Norman design. You get some Bermuda grass greens that are a little on on the slopey side. So I think of some past winners. I think of Corey Connors. I think of Charlie Hoffman. I think of some ball strikers like that. Um, but then you have a guy like Jordan Spieth who's had some success there. Zach Johnson who's won back-to-back times there. There seems to be a pretty wide array of past champions at this event. Um, and I think it's a sign of a good golf course. I, I don't think it particularly uh, gives an advantage to long hitters. I don't think it gives a particular advantage to, um, to, to a specific type of player. So what that means is that everybody's in the mix. Everybody can compete. I wouldn't look past some of the older players, um, maybe even a couple guys that are over 50. We'll talk about that a little later on, I promise you. But I, I'm definitely interested in seeing how this pans out because you got everybody from Dustin Johnson uh, and, and you have a whole mix of guys underneath that who are vying for kind of that last spot of the of the Masters. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And Greg, you know, it, it passes the eye test for you to say that there's not really a stat that that stands out because see the, the model that I talk about, the model that I talk about all the time, the one where I run every single stat against uh, every every result for every course says that. There's not really anything that's strongly correlated to success at TPC San Antonio. Sometimes we see, hey, it's strokes gained putting. This is the most important stat. Or strokes gained off the tee. Or you have to be long. This week, it's like, yeah, uh, around the green's kind of important. Driving accuracy, it's it's okay. But Greg's right. There's there's really not any standout mold of golfer that you would want to try to roster this week. 
Yeah, and to your point, if I was going to you know create a model and, and bump up some percentages, it probably would be a little bit to around the green, a little bit to driving accuracy. And of course, approach is always important. It's always in play. But that, again, that speaks to what Greg was saying. I mean, this is really a wide open tournament. I mean, there's guys that are previous winners in the 7K range that can take this thing down. There's guys in the 8K and the 9K range, obviously, that are viable to outright win this thing. And now that we don't have you know Dustin Johnson anymore, it really, yeah. really makes it a little bit easier to A, form formulate your lineups and be kind of pick out a winner that isn't any in abs like the best player in the world. Yeah, let's go over to the cheat sheet. Let's look at the guys over $10,000 because there is a big void at the top of this player pool now, Greg, because Dustin Johnson about an hour ago as we record this said, uh, Thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to take the week off. I'm going to head to Augusta National. But of course, he does that after the pricing has already come out. So he's 11800 He gone. Tony Finau is now 11000 Jordan Spieth is 107. Scotty Scheffler, 104. Hideki Matsuyama, 101. Let's talk about DJ real quick, Greg, because uh, uh, would you have considered him for this week? And how how much differently does this change your lineups moving forward? Yeah, I I was strongly considering him. I I had a feeling that he was in this event um, kind of with, I don't want to say revenge in mind. That's (laughs) probably strong, but there was a a frustration level. There was a disappointment level from the week before. What's so fascinating is he's a late entry and then a late withdrawal, Mm -hmm. right? So that doesn't yeah. really it tells me it almost proves the point that that he was in this event um for a, an emotional reason he made an emotional decision after losing to Kevin Na on Friday and it gets him into the event and then all of a sudden once he calms down he says you know what it's probably not the best idea i think i need to take this week off to best prepare for masters so yes i did like him i i, I saw something in dj last week um where I, I felt like he really cared. He was really grinding it out in his matches, and I think that would have been a great thing for him this week. So um, I, I think it's, honestly, it makes this lineup a little bit easier. It gives you a, a big break. I think it highlights a, a guy like a Jordan Spieth, um, and it, it even brings in the possibility of starting in the 9K range. So it, it opens the board wide. It, the board becomes wide open, where DJ would feel to me, before this, like it was kind of hard to pass on him, um, at least in all of your, I mean, it's hard to pass on him in total. A couple of lineups you're going to have to at 11-8. But uh, yeah, I was definitely looking at DJ this week. That leaves us, Sia, with Finau, Spieth, Scheffler, Matsuyama. I imagine many are going to opt and to just flock to Spieth. Is that the direction that you're headed in? Yeah, if you're taking somebody from this range, I think Spieth would be the number one guy. I mean, I, I, Scotty Scheffler's an interesting one. I know you had mentioned earlier in the day, Rick, that that maybe he ends up just just sitting this one out after yeah. seven rounds. Yeah, we haven't heard that news yet, and it's kind of late on Monday at this point. So I guess he's playing. I would. I was expecting a Monday morning withdrawal from Scotty Scheffler. Haven't seen it. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, obviously, if anybody can rebound, I mean, he, he is he's kind of like an all-around athlete here. So, I mean, I think he can endure the seven rounds and then, you know, have a couple days off and then get warmed up for this Valero Texas Open. So, I, I would probably go in the order of Spieth and then Scheffler. I mean, these are both Texas boys, too, so that helps. And then maybe uh, Fee. Now, I'm not, I'm not really going to be on Hideki. I don't see um, the justification there. But, but like Greg said... I think I might start in the 9K range, which you guys know I like to do a lot, too. And by the way, if I may, did, did DJ just 
did he just realize that maybe like Kevin Na wasn't in this term? He's like, oh, he's not playing in it. So I'll just duck out. Like I'll wait for the Masters. <laughs> he he literally he rage registered like you rage quit <laughs> like a video game. Right. When things are going sour and yes. you're like, I'm, I'm gone. Just like flip off. He was like, I just got beat by Kevin Na and uh, I just failed to get out of my group. And I have like 10 minutes to get myself into the Valero and take it out on the rest of the field. And he regis- he gets in, puts his name in and then he, you know, sleeps on it, sleeps on it again. He's like, ah. Uh, nah, I'm, I'm I'm good. I'm just gonna go to Augusta. Now. That's your, exactly what I think happened. It's your classic tilt register for yeah, for those in betting circles. For sure, Greg. Here's the round by round breakdown for Jordan Spieth, and what I'm pointing out is essentially since the Farmers Insurance Open, this is the visual that Kyle Porter has been tracking essentially since since Farmers. Uh, these two rounds right here, the third round at Genesis and the fourth round at Genesis, are the only two rounds he has lost strokes on approach since. January 28th, Greg, this is an unbelievable stretch of golf that he is on and he's doing it in a way that is uh, highly sustainable. Right. Well, it's the iron play that is the biggest thing. And when you look at, this is a guy with four top tens since, um, since what happened at the waste management Phoenix open. Well, we kind of, at that time, I mean, we jumped on the bandwagon. And this was why there were signs in the positive direction. So I look at Jordan Spieth and I see what what was wrong and what has he done to fix it. And um, it, it kind of has a contrast to what happened last year. Last year, when we came back to the Charles Schwab Challenge, he came in t- uh, tied 10th and he was around the lead on Sunday and there was a lot of buzz about it. And at the time, I wasn't, I wasn't on board. Uh, I didn't jump on the bandwagon. And the reason was he was still missing to the right. He still hits the tee shot out of bounds to the right on 14. There's still the double bogey possibility. And he was still fighting the same things that caused the slump in the past. He just was at a course he was very familiar with. Well, in, in this case, now all of a sudden, we've seen a guy eliminate double bogeys. He's eliminated the big miss to the right. Not to say that he doesn't miss any fairway to the right, but but it's that shot that just goes all of a sudden almost out of bounds to the right. And everything has every miss seems to be to the left, which when you have a one way miss, it's highly beneficial. The other thing is, while he's had rounds with great putting, it hasn't been consistent putting uh, where he's just on fire with the putter and on a hot streak. And that's what you're saying, Rick, about the sustainability. He's doing it with tee to green play. He's doing it with smart play. Um, And again, even though the driving numbers, uh, his strokes gain numbers off the tee aren't where you may hope or where you may expect for a great tee to green player there. He's, he's keeping the ball in play where he has an opportunity to approach the green and that's his strong suit right now. And that is what I believe will lead to another great week this week. And, um, as Kyle said last night, probably a top three favorite going into masters. It's scary stuff. That leaves us in the 10K range. See you with Tony Finau and Hideki Matsuyama. Spolardi checks in in the chat. He says, Deki is a fade. And I want to throw this over to you, Sia, because Hideki's kind of been a bit of an enigma. I'm having a difficult time trying to figure him out, determining if I need to be a week early or if I need to wait and see. So I ask you, what do we do with Deki? 
Well, what if you said that same comment a year ago about being a week early on Decky? You, you would have you kept chasing that. I'm He's still ne- waiting. Exactly. So, I mean, I think we're at a point where it's kind of like, yeah, feel free to take that shot. In a GPP, I don't mind the Hideki play. If you got five or ten lineups, you want to throw him in one. But, I mean, he's never really paying off his price. Yes, we know he's a great ball striker, but that's been kind of up and down. The putter's always up and down. So, I mean, of all these elite guys, unless you're just trying to be super contrarian, just pay up the few the few hundred bucks to Scheffler or the 600 to Jordan Spieth because, or pay down, of course, to that 9K range because there's plenty of good ball strikers in this tournament. You don't need we don't need to keep saying, oh Hideki, he's such a great ball striker because right below him are guys we're going to talk about that are great ball strikers. Yeah, you can see, Greg. You know, uh, for there was a stretch from maybe the end of 2020 into the start of 2021 where Hideki kind of lost the the iron game, the approach game. He's starting to get it back. He's gained strokes in four consecutive tournaments, but he doesn't have the driver that we have normally seen, and of course the putter is always going to misbehave. So that's why I just I just see him as a big question mark. I don't even know what his floor is anymore, and I'm not even sure I know what his ceiling is anymore. I, I find him to be one of the most difficult guys to, to handicap. I agree. And and in name, he uh, that, that name draws a it, – it, it has a heavy draw. And the reason for that is the floor has always been, in the past, very high. Um, it's an extremely low miscut risk because of that ball striking ability. And he seems to have an ability in the past to play what really well on Sunday. So he was great at getting kind of a backdoor top 10, top 12 finish with a nice round on Sunday. Handles difficult setups pretty well because of that ball striking ability. But as that starts to dwindle, he doesn't have anything to, else to fall back on. And a lot of what I've seen out of Hideki is when he has played well, some really good short game stuff, chipping in a couple of times, getting up and down. And and I'm just not sure that, uh, that that's the recipe that I'm looking for here. When you have a guy who's very questionable with the putter and always has been, he has to be very good in, in the rest of the remaining areas of the game. And when those are in question, well, now everything's in question. So I'm, I'm a fade on Hideki as well. Okay, let's jump down to the $9,000 range. So this is Abraham Answer, our defending champion, Corey Connors, Ryan Palmer, Cam Tringale, Charlie Hoffman, Brendan Steele, and Matt Kuchar. Sia, I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm looking over the recent results. I'm looking at the history over here on the cheat sheet, and I see guys who have won this golf tournament, namely Charlie Hoffman and uh, uh, and Corey Connors. I see Matt Kuchar who had a great week last week. Brendan Steele has also been victorious in this range what what do you want from from the nine thousand dollar section yeah the answer is i want everything but so i have to i obviously have to prioritize a little bit here i mean these are all kind of golfers i i lean on on a very consistent basis so i think i'll surprise you a little bit here this won't be a surprise because Corey connors is a guy that uh, again he's he's just been hot he has a good history here i'm going to be all over Corey connors uh and by the way i don't think that's going to be um it's going to be a popular thing to be on Corey Connors. But the guy that a couple guys that I might fade just because I think they've sort of been priced maybe a little bit too high and, and I'll just find cheaper guys elsewhere. You guys know how big a fan I am of Ryan Palmer. I, I genuinely think he should have beat John Rahm in match play. He makes yes. a three foot putt on maybe 14, I think it was, or 15. He's two, he's two shots up 
or two holes up, and he probably closes out that match. As much as I like him, though, I typically like him in, when he's like 7,200 or 7,000, or, you know, nowadays he's getting priced up a little bit. But but here, I don't think I want to pay for him, and I don't think I want to pay for Charlie Hoffman. I think both of those guys are going to be popular, rightfully so, particularly Hoffman with his experience and how he's sort of uh, homegrown here in Texas. But I think the guys I'm going to be leaning on are probably Corey Connors, Abraham Answer, and Cameron Tringale, who I'm always taking Cameron. Here's what I think the big thing is with Corey Connors here. So if you can see the, on the, the rickrungood.com golfer profile, this is Corey Connors year by year breakdown, Greg. Every single year, no doubt about it, he gains a half a stroke off the tee, he gains a half a stroke on approach, and he loses at, you know, about that with the putter. Except for 2021, he's doing that little thing by just gaining a little bit with the flat stick. He's be, he's a zero around the green player. He's a small positive putter. That's dangerous. This is like this is literally what I'm showing on the screen right now. If if Hideki could get on this trajectory, he'd be like the best player on the planet. But he's never been able to get into the positive. So this is a really good sign for Corey Connors this year. I agree. Um, and as I was looking earlier today, the putting is the thing. Well, I mean, it's been the past couple of weeks, right? Corey Connors was a guy I thought would challenge Jordan Spieth in the match play. That didn't pan out the way that he hoped. Um, and match play can be a different animal at times. But so, so that didn't pan out. But in the weeks prior, Corey Connors was a uh, was highly sought after, and for good reason. You have great ball striking mixed with putting that's on the way up. What is he? What's he ranked? Uh, strokes game putting this year, like thirty fourth or something. Uh, he's seventy ninth. 79th. So a huge positive. He's, he's never been inside the top 100 before, uh, at least on my count. So look, I think, I think Corey Connors is a guy improving, um, who has a, has something figured out on the greens and he is one of the few past champions that I look to, uh, in a, in a positive light. Cause this one feels a little different. He didn't have the Valero Texas open last year. Right. So, um, all of a sudden, and, and he doesn't have to Monday qualify anymore, which is kind of nice. That's right. I forgot that he yeah. got into this on Monday last year. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm, see, I'm, I'm looking at a, a, another past champion, but I'm going all the way back to 2011 and it's, and it's Brendan Steele who has yet to miss a cut in 2021. That's eight in a row. He was the last man out. See ya. He was, he was the last guy on the outside looking in at the match play. Eric, Eric Von Royen gets in. Brendan Steele doesn't, but the last time we saw him was a, a third place finish at the Honda classic. We know we had a close call at Sony, he's had two top tens at Valero since uh, since his victory. I- I'm like choo choo, full steam ahead, Brendan Steele. Yeah, I like Brendan Steele. And from a DFS standpoint, there's so many attractive options here that I think Brendan Steele might fall a little bit under the radar compared to the other guys. And and yeah, his finishes. First of all, he's making cuts, but his finishes are great too. And if I recall, at Honda. I mean, he obviously finished third, but he didn't have the best start to that tournament. He grinded away to a third place finish. So, uh, you, Brendan Steele, he's all you. You've been saying this for I don't know how long, Rick. He's just one of those guys that he's not a sexy name. People just don't want to pick him, and you just keep scooping him up, and he keeps giving you what you want from a DFS standpoint. So, the, frankly, the only reason I didn't say his name is because I had already said three guys in the in the nine K range, and I didn't want to like hog the whole thing. But I absolutely <laughs> like Brendan Steele. He has only once in this eight tournament stretch been more than 10% 
owned. So you generally get him in single digit ownership, which is always a good thing. Okay, Greg, that leaves us with uh, kind of the bottom of this 9K range. I think we got to talk about Kucher. He's back in this field. He gets a significant price increase. He played seven rounds over five days last week, and he still hasn't had a top 10 in a stroke play event since... 2020 genesis that would have been over a year ago. yeah i mean look this guy's uh 42 years old um it, it's very clear that he has figured something out he and chris o'connell figured something out but i just worry about i worry about the fatigue i, I think it's a big deal uh in an event like this it's a it's a short turnaround he just played seven rounds he gave it his all in the match against victor perez and came out on top made four birdies in that Sunday after, which was maybe surprising. Maybe I'm overlooking the fatigue factor here. But the thing about Matt Kuchar is he doesn't rely, he's never relied on distance. So when you see a guy in his 40s start to lose form, the immediate thought is, oh, he doesn't hit it far enough to compete on today's tour. But that's not really the area that slipped. It slipped in his iron play. It slipped in his putting. It slipped in the other areas of the game where it's, he just wasn't in good form. He wasn't swinging well. And what I saw this past week was a guy that was swinging really well, who was really clutch, who was putting really well. So he's got to be extremely confident. I worry about the fatigue factor. And when I'm looking at a group that has a guy like a Charlie Hoffman, a guy like a Ryan Palmer, who, as Sia pointed out, he should have won that match against. He just couldn't beat John Rahm. He couldn't get past <laughs> He's older than John Rahm, but it's almost like he was playing against his big brother. And he couldn't he, he just mm. couldn't close the, the deal. He just didn't wanna he didn't wanna win that match. It was so that that was kind of a different animal. But Ryan Palmer played some great golf last week and only had to play three matches. So um because of him, because of Charlie Hoffman, I have a hard time going with Matt Kuchar and taking on that fatigue risk. Um, interested to hear your thoughts on what his popularity will be. Cause that could go one of two. Everybody could stay away because he played seven rounds last week, or some people might say, well, he's, he's playing well, he's back. I'm going to go with Kucher. So interested to hear about that. But Charlie Hoffman, his record here is yeah, unbelievable. And we have to talk about him. His record's yeah. unbelievable. It's he has 11 top 25 finishes in 14 starts at this event, including a, well, I think he was fifth, fifth in 2019 so i'm looking at charlie who's in uh rounding into good form and i think i think he's almost a, a must play okay well i'm glad that's your take because i think sia's take is a little bit different but let me set the table on this charlie hoffman in the midst of his best uh i will call it yeah let's call it ball striking season of his career at least in terms of strokes gained approach his strokes gained off the tee number is great as well he's 18th on tour in the approach number and and see he's putting together some great finishes he was he was kind of terrible on sunday at punta cana he started the day i think three shots off the lead he was in the thick of it he finished 34th so he obviously had a poor sunday i think you're concerned about either ownership or price or maybe both yeah both and that's the thing so i've been on charlie hoffman for the, for the majority of the last, you know, five or six tournaments, we've talked about him on the show. But at the same time, like once you get to a range where you're a 9,200, but, but more importantly, you are sort of stacked up against certain guys that are going to be less popular, like a Brandon Steele, like a Cameron Tringale. I don't know about Ryan Palmer. We'll have to see how that shakes out. But I, I just prefer, I think, those guys over Charlie Hoffman for four rounds here. I totally understand why you would take Charlie Hoffman. But for me, I'm just considering some ownership stuff, too. So it's not like I think he's a bad player. I think I just prefer the ownership from other other guys near him. 
what do you expect that uh, that ownership to be? Like, is his form? Do you think people are are that aware of his form where everybody's going to be running to Charlie Hoffman? Well, I think they're going to look at his form, but also his history. I mean, in the last four years, he has a second and a first. And they're going to be like, oh, he's from Texas, too. This guy is just kind of like killing this course. So I I think that's where the ownership is going to come from, even more so than the recent form. They'll they'll check that box, too, of course. I just think he's probably going to be a little bit more popular than – I think he's going to be more popular than Steele, Tringale, maybe Palmer, not Connors, and maybe Answer as well. So if he's the second most popular guy in the 9K range, I just prefer to pivot somewhere else. He was very popular last week. He was 28% owned for Punta Cana, which while he was disappointing on Sunday, he's at least on that many many people's radar. And then you're also going to throw in all of the tournament history. This is like the Charlie Hoffman Open. I I, I think he's going to be in the 20s. Let's call it low 20s. That's my guess on a, on a Monday, Greg. That's what so I So what if you um if you did play Charlie Hoffman and and you paid that price for him and and he's in the low 20s in ownership percentage. What do you think he has to do to make that worth it? Well, I would say he's got to he's got to finish inside the top 10, probably maybe yeah. inside the top 8, right? I think that's about right. Yeah, okay. I think you'd you'd have to get a top 10 out of him for sure. Yeah. And so and what, then, then, wanna, then you got to go. What's the likelihood of that? Well, you know, right. That's your next question. And I, I, I think um, I, I think he's somewhat likely to do that. So I wonder I, I maybe there's a risk because he's going to be so popular. But he, he, the guy came in second last year, he won in 16. He had back to back top uh, it tied 11th before that. Like you said, it's the Charlie Hoffman. It's it, this record is unbelievable when you look at it. And. He's in such good form. I, I think it's it's going to be hard for me to go away from him. Let's try to do a little game theory here on the spot. William Hill has Charlie Hoffman at plus 335 to finish inside the top 10. So that would essentially imply that he's going to do that a little less than like 25% of the time. Math off the top of my head. Uh, so in in that theory, Sia, if if more if we say okay, he's gonna finish inside the top ten, that's that's he's gonna pay for himself twenty three percent of the time. If we project that twenty five percent of people have him, you should not play Charlie Hoffman. If we project that like eighteen have him, you should play him. We are obviously splitting hairs, but that would be the game theory behind it. Yeah, and then I think you could also gauge the upside of those around him that you could pick in place of Charlie Hoffman, too. And if, if their upside, if you consider their upside to be as good or better than Charlie Hoffman, then it's a decent pivot, particularly when you consider ownership percentage. Okay, we are going to uh, get into the 8K range. We're going to take a quick break first, but before we do, John in the chat wants to know who needs a good result to get into the Masters. Essentially, everybody who's not qualified, John, but the ones you're going to hear are Ricky Fowler, uh, Joel Damon's victory did not get him in last week. He still has work to do. Greg, it's it's if you're not qualified, you got to win. That's that's the only way, right? Right. So you're looking at guys that are outside the top 50 in the world, and your last chance, your last hope is winning this event. And we've seen this a number of times in the event before Masters. Traditionally, it's not the Valero Texas Open. It'd be um, like the uh, the the Houston Open where we saw Ian Poulter get a win and he got into Masters that way. Um, and Matt Jones also comes to mind getting into Masters by winning the Houston Open. So there are a couple of examples in the past that have kind of created some great stories. And there's a there's a very good possibility that happens again this week, especially with DJ uh, out at this point. All right, we're going to jump into the $8,000 range. We're going to go deeper. We're going to see if we can find some value. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. 
Did you know that more than 75% of Americans will experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% will seek out a solution for that pain. Those numbers do not add up to me. And I know it can be confusing the biomechanics of the foot, the bones, the muscles, everything in between, but solving foot pain is simple. And that's where super feet comes into play. These super feet insoles go into your shoes, give your feet comfort and support where they need it the most and redistribute the forces that reduce both stress and strain through your entire body, not just your feet. Insoles have been uh, phenomenal for me uh, personally, and they are clinically proven to decrease fatigue, reduce injury, and improve comfort. I can attest to that myself, especially when walking uh, a lot of golf holes that I play. So if you feel good, you play good, you look good, everything works out from there and it starts from the bottom up. Visit superfeet.com and enter promo code FIRST at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. And we're back. I want to tell you about the all-new Stitcher podcast app. It's been rebuilt from the ground up to make it easier to listen to podcasts on the go or on the revamped web player. That's my favorite part. Stitcher is home to all your favorite podcasts from classics like My Favorite Murder, This American Life, and How Did This Get Made? That's a good one. All the CBS shows such as Eye on College Basketball, Fantasy Baseball Today, and of course, your favorite, the First Cut Golf Podcast. In Stitcher, you have more control like setting your download preferences per show and the ability to listen at virtually any speed. 1.25 is the best. Uh, well, With Stitcher, you can listen to podcasts anytime, anywhere. So give the all-new Stitcher a try. Download it in the App Store and at stitcherapp.com slash download. $8,000 range. CSC Wu Kim, Cam Davis, Lonto Griffin, Chris Kirk, all the way down to the aforementioned Joel Damon, Ricky Fowler, Aaron Wise, and Sam Burns. Who moves the needle for you? Uh, Chris Kirk jumps out me right off the bat. Great, great recent history, great track record on this course. I, I like Chris Kirk a lot. Uh, going down a little bit to a little bit from him to the 8400 range. I mean, we're talking about ball strikers here. At least I am. And Keegan Bradley is like the ultimate. And by the way, we've talked about how he's also improved with the putter as well. So I think Keegan Bradley is a good play. I actually think that's a great price for Keegan Bradley. Outside of that, although I should point out that Keegan's history here isn't great. While again, Chris Kirk's is the only other guy that maybe I could kick this back to one of you that I'm a little confused about in terms of whether to roster him. We were talking about him glowingly about six weeks ago, and now he's sort of fallen off, and that's Sam Burns. I I'm really not sure. <laughs> I'm really not sure what to do with him because we know his upside is there. He's just been bad lately. I mean, is it is it is it so bad lately that we're not willing to roster him in this tournament at that price? Let's look at this. I'm I'm showing I'm showing the tournament logs here, Greg, because something is a red flag, and it's not just all the red that you see on <laughs> the screen. If you go back and look from essentially the start of 2020, uh, he was dynamite with his driver. I mean, week in, week out, gaining three or four strokes off the tee. 
He's been horrific since Phoenix. He, he lost 2.8 at Phoenix. He was a small gainer at Pebble Beach. And then three consecutive events in a row, he's lost strokes off the tee. I find it to be a huge concern and a huge red flag when a golfer loses their best weapon, which is what I think we're seeing from Sam Burns right now. And I do think it's going to be quite important this week. Uh, which is a, uh, another factor here. His record here, he he's played here twice in the past. In 2015, he missed the cut, um, which, I mean, that's so long ago. Fortunately for him, it doesn't really matter because he did shoot 89-77. Um, sorry to bring that up, Sam. But also, <laughs> in 2019, he, he finished tied 23rd, so he answered quite nicely. But I, I am concerned about the driver as well. It's one of those Greg Norman courses. You heard what Mark Immelman said, all, all the rocks off the fairway. And there's, you know, you, you got to get the ball and play around here. So I have, I have my concerns with Sam Burns. And I think this range offers a lot of, a lot of positive options. A lot of guys that are in really good form um, who, are, who also have great course history. So Sam, to me, he's not really... Um, he's not really moving the needle for me. I think I'm going to stay away. Yeah, I, I I agree with all all the assessment there. Also from Sia, I mean, you look at what Chris Kirk has done in terms of ball striking. So strokes gain ball striking on on RickRunGood.com. That's not a that's not an official PGA Tour stat. It uses off the tee and approach. It combines them. It adds them together uh, for an unofficial stat. And and Kirk's gained in what eleven of his last twelve measured events. He's just been absolutely awesome with the irons and the and the driver. And then he's been gaining a bunch of strokes around the green like this this is a really great profile of a, of a golfer that that i like to see uh greg i'm gonna kick this right back to you because on sunday night you proclaimed uh i don't know what you said exactly but like watch out for adam hadwin so he, here's our opportunity to talk about adam hadwin yeah so adam hadwin is one of two guys in this range very close in price that i really really like um adam hadwin does not have the best course history here which is um I wouldn't say it's alarming. It's not. It's not to where I'm. I'm really worried. Where it's a, an extreme negative. What I really like about Adam Hadwin is the area uh, in in the tee to green place. Right. He's 116th strokes gain off the tee. I know you're saying that sounds terrible. Um, this this can't be good. But his swing is really coming around, and he's working with. I've been I've been watching him uh, on social media, working with his coach Mark Blackburn, who also works with Charlie Hoffman as well. Um, and, and Max Homa. And he's got this guy swinging really well right now. So I look at, to a guy like Adam Hadwin, where the statistics like strokes gained approach the green, 186 for the year. Um, these are areas that are not great, but I think it's going to change. And I think it's changing before our eyes. So I look for Adam Hadwin to kind of have a pop-off week and make it back-to-back Canadian Valero Texas Open winners. If Adam Hadwin wins this week, I'll – oh, God, I should be careful what I say here because he might win. I was going to say I'll walk to Canada, but I don't know how far of a walk that is. <laughs> Rick, it's too long. We need to hear I – mean, Probably 2,000 miles. <laughs> you're, you're the host of a daily of a daily podcast, and I don't know. Through, going through you're, – you're in Nevada, so you're walking through the Rockies, right? you got to oh, go God. basically straight up the Rockies into the Canadian – that's going to be a long walk. And the service is going to be questionable, and we need to hear. So you can't do that. <laughs> can, can I just add, Rick, that two weeks ago, Greg was on Adam Hadwin. It was towards the end of the show, and he talked He talked to us about Mark Blackburn that was working with Adam Hadwin's swing. That was right before the Honda. And guess what place he finished at the Honda? 
Eighth. There it is. Eighth. I'm lucky. So at I mean, it. there's there, like <laughs> like clearly like there's some progression here that we probably need to recognize. And by the way, if you look at his price at 8,300, it seems pretty expensive, right? I mean, he's right under Keegan Bradley, who's been great. You, you would think an Adam Hadwin type would be in that high seven or mid seven range. I think maybe DraftKings is trying to tell us something. And and also the um, the Players Championship was a nice outing for him too. He came in 29th there. So I'm looking at a guy who's really starting to gain some confidence. Who's a better player than his statistics um, would indicate. I'll chug a bottle of maple syrup. Ooh. <laughs> oh, here we go. Jacob says chug a tall boy of Labatt Blue and do it on the pot. Even better. I don't want to chug the syrup. I'll okay. do that. I, li- I kind of like the syrup. <laughs> I, li- I like the syrup. <laughs> oh, man. That's tough. Uh, okay. Two, real real quick, because there's two more guys here that I think are, are worth discussing. We mentioned them both already. It's Ricky Fowler. It's Joel Damon. Uh, Sia, I'll go here to you with Fowler, because I want to pull up his stats. And, and, and we've been waiting for this. We've been waiting for the turnaround for a long time. Uh, this is devastatingly bad. The the irons, the ball striking, he has lost the putter. Five straight events, he's lost strokes on approach. This is just, uh, when you see red in the rickrungood.com database, you're in, you're in trouble. Yeah, there's just really no reason to take Ricky Fowler here. I mean, first of all, if his price was like 7K flat, I think it might be a different conversation because maybe you have some upside here. But let me give you a comparison here. So Ricky Fowler is 75 to one to win this tournament and he's 8,100. John Ha, who's a guy we're going to talk about in a second, who I like in the 7K range, he's 70 to one, Bet like shorter odds than Ricky Fowler. He's 7,400 on DraftKings. Now you're not going to see like a ton of those inconsistencies, price versus, um, versus odds. But in this case, I feel like that's a commentary on Ricky Fowler more than it is John Ha, perhaps. Do you think it's crazy, Greg, that like, I mean, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I feel like these ownership numbers uh, in the start of 2021 are essentially the same as Brendan Steele's. And Brendan Steele has two top tens, almost won a golf tournament, hasn't missed a cut. And Ricky Fowler has struggled week in and week out for a year. And and we are still looking at like single digit ownerships for both these guys. Right. Well, I mean, you think about what think about um, what we talked about on Friday night, Rick. We talked about how Jordan Spieth was the only guy left that could make the weekend. Um, really interesting and really compelling to watch. And that's what happens. There are certain names on the PGA Tour that draw a lot of attention. They draw attention in um, in fandom. So people root for Ricky Fowler, and you want to see the comeback, so you play him, and you think this is the week. This can't go on for too long. He's too good to perform like this, and so people pick him. And and you also feel like the price is really – oh. Ricky Fowler's in the in the 8K range. He should be the highest priced player in the field when it comes to talent. Um, so, but the form doesn't back that up, and I just think his popularity speaks to what kind of ownerships you get out of him. All right, let's bop on down to the seven thousand dollar range. Harold Varner the third, Ryan Moore, CH three, all the way down to. Tom Hoagie, Russell Knox, Luke List, Bryce Garnett, Cam Champ. Here's what I'm going to do, gentlemen. I've opened up the Holy Grail. I've put in a time frame from the start of 2021, and I've sorted these by strokes gained tee to green. And I'm just going to point out the guys, Sia, that are in the $7,000 range here. So Danny Willett's third in this field in strokes gained tee to green in that time frame. He only has four rounds. I'm going to keep going. Here's that name you mentioned. John Huh, 17 rounds, pretty decent sample size, 74 $400. He's gaining more strokes per round than Brendan Steele, a guy that I just spent a couple minutes telling you how great he is. 
And Cameron Tringali, who I just told you, I gave you a couple <laughs> minutes about how great he is. Yeah, John Ha is great. I mean, obviously, you see it right there that the putter hasn't been doing him any favors, but he's a great ball striker. And at 7,400, I just think he's a great value. I don't know what else to say about him. He, again, he's one of those guys that doesn't have any name recognition whatsoever. So I, I do think that affects his ownership, ownership percentage to a degree. But I, I like him quite a bit. I talk about the blueprint all the time, Sia. The, the Honda was his blueprint. If you can see down here at the bottom of the screen, so he goes four consecutive events in 2021, just, just bleeding strokes on the greens, and he gains a half a stroke over four rounds at the Honda. That's that's the blueprint. John Hunt to get inside the top 10, to get inside the top 15, whatever you want to call it. He showed it to us in his last start. Now it's a question of whether he can repeat it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it absolutely is the blueprint. And like I said, his his odds, his sportsbook odds are, are kind of speaking. It's not like crazy out there, but it's kind of speaking to the fact that this guy that's priced 7,400 maybe maybe should be uh, priced a little bit higher because his odds are reflecting that he's a better golfer than his price. Continuing down the list, Greg, we run into Matthew Neesmith next. He's got 27 measured rounds. He's at 7,100. Luke List is a flat 7,000. He has 23 rounds under his belt. And then Henrik Norlander, is 7,100. He has 27 rounds under his belt. Are any of those guys needle movers for you, or would you prefer somebody else in the 7K range? No, I'd prefer somebody else. Um, okay. Again, not that I'm necessarily against those guys, and I like the tee to green performance, but again, this is a course where there are a lot of different ways to win, and the guy that stands out to me is Andrew Putnam. Uh, Andrew, oh, yes. Andrew Putnam has in 2019, he was tied 36. He was tied eighth in 2018, and he's playing some really, really nice golf. Uh, the Players' Championship didn't go the way that he hoped, but before that, the API came in fourth. He was fifth in Puerto Rico. He was seventh at the Waste Management. This guy's racked up some really nice performances, and he is a great putter. So I think when you combine a course history, he's clearly comfortable at the course. He's 22nd strokes game putting on the year. I think Andrew Putnam is a guy in this range that is honestly somewhat safe. And I think the upside's pretty, pretty good too. Yeah, I'm generally not an Andrew Putnam fan because of how he does it with with the fl uh, with the flat stick. But at some point, you just have to tip your cap to him and say, OK, he gets the job done to have three top sevens. And listen to these courses, Phoenix. So that's TPC Scottsdale, Puerto Rico, and then the API. I mean, like, could you get a more diverse set of, of courses and fields? And like, that's always a good sign to me, Greg. Right. It, it, it speaks to confidence. He's not a... Uh, a specialist like you have that area on your site it, the the grass specialists where you're yeah. and those are guys that play well at very certain they play well at certain areas and I wouldn't consider him to be in that category which is a good thing so the the sign is his game is traveling um, it's performing at a somewhat consistent basis and it's a good opportunity to come off of a, a miscut at a player's championship and come back ready to go and rekindle some of that form that he had in Puerto Rico and um, and in Orlando. Yeah, not only do you get the specialist, you get the anti-specialist, which uh, uh, fortunately right. for Andrew Putnam, he, he does not uh, uh, show up on either one of those lists, which is usually a good thing. It means he's yes. right there in the middle. Uh, okay, see ya. The rest of the 7K range, I mean, I see names like Benny On, Sebastian Munoz. I see Phil Mickelson is in this field, Denny McCarthy. This is, of course, the largest tier that we usually get of playable players on DraftKings. So is there anybody else we need to consider here? Denny McCarthy is interesting. We've had some conversations about him, but a couple guys right off the bat. Brandon Grace, 
I think is, is maybe sort of in the midst of a comeback here. He's got a great track record on this course, but his recent history outside of the players is actually pretty good as well. And, and by the way, if there are windy conditions here, which I expect them to be in that 15 mile per hour range, I think Brandon Grace will, will be fine with those. The only other guy I, I'd probably like to mention because he has popped here and there. I just noticed on your anti-grass specialist, he was either one or two. He was two behind Batia. Uh, it's there it is. Doug Gim. I just think it's a really good price for Doug Gim if he gives us anywhere near the upside he's given us in the last four or five weeks. Yeah. And, you know, I was kind of on Doug Gim the week after. I don't want to call it the meltdown. I mean, the guy played with JT on a Sunday at the Players Championship like anybody can melt down there. But like I was kind of on him the next week for a lot of the reasons of how consistent he has been. Sia, and I think he missed the cut the next week. But this might be a good a good opportunity for him to just kind of reset, get back to his strengths. It's a much weaker field, all that good stuff. I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah, and consider his price too. I mean, there were a couple a couple tournaments ago, you were paying a very high mark for Doug Gim. Now he's at a price where he's really just getting thrown in your lineup while you're you're stacking guys that are in the eight and nine k range. So the the price is really appealing to me as well. I've got to point out Sam Ryder. He's seventy four hundred. Yes. Yeah, he's got back to back top tens. Greg, he goes eighth at Honda. He goes runner up at Punta Cana. He's made the cut in his last two trips. His only two trips to the Texas Open. Uh, does he keep that momentum going? Well, it, it's. A, I was going to ask you the same question, but since you flipped it on me, I, I have <laughs> to say I have to lean towards yes. Uh, and and the reason is the way he his where where is he strong right what are the areas he's strong in and what I love about your site Rick is how when you do your stats breakdown of a player it tells you what they're best in because yeah. of the way that you have it ordered so green, greens of regulation he's fifteenth strokes gained approach the green he's thirty eighth driving accuracy he's eighty so those are the areas where he's really strong the tee to green areas and that tells me. This may be more of good form than just simply a hot streak. So uh, I, I think there is something here to Sam Ryder, and the price does not reflect a guy who just finished back-to-back weeks inside the top 10. So maybe you can kind of sneak a guy in there who's on good form and maybe a little underpriced. Yeah, we don't have his shot link data at Punta Cana, but he was brilliant at Honda. I mean, it's just it's almost a perfect stat profile for what I'd be looking for. And that's not uncommon. He has gotten hot with the irons before. Always a great sign. So Sam Ryder, I agree. If you maybe choose, I think he's going to I think he's going to keep it going. I don't know if he's going to finish in the top 10 again, but I, I do like his chances. $6,000 range. This is uh, Nate Lashley, Rafael Campos in the field, Pat Perez, Kevin Chappell, all the way down. Who's min price this week? Ooh, Hunter Mahan, Kevin Stadler, Davis Love the Third, DJ Trahan. Wow, there's a lot of guys at the min price. Sia, who moves the needle in the 6K range? I have a few guys here. Uh, Kevin Chappell, I believe his history here is pretty good, and he's he's been playing a lot better. I mean, Kevin Chappell was sort of on the radar three, four years ago and, and just sort of fell off. But, yeah, I just saw the, the recent history. It's it's great. I mean, for, for a guy in this range, it's great. Uh, I like Roger Sloan as well, uh, Akshay Batia. And if I'm really going super low because I, I got to fit somebody in, I don't think you have to do that in this tournament. But David Hearn and Tyler Duncan, the thing with Tyler Duncan is – he, he usually has a good first and second round and then just completely fades in <laughs> rounds three and round four. So maybe he's a better showdown guy for rounds one and two if that's what you're interested in. But, uh, I, I you know, he is generally accurate off the tee and he's generally a good approach player. So that's a guy, at, I think he's 6,300, uh, would fit nicely in your lineup. 
Here's the Kevin Chapel history. He goes runner-up in 2011. He tacks on a 15th place finish in 2013. 2016, he finishes fourth. And oh, by the way, hoists the trophy in 2017 before finishing 30th in 2018. That's the last time he played. He did not play last year. So absolutely right, Sia. He is rolling in terms of course history. Greg, $6,000 range. Who do you like? Uh, so I have two guys here that I want to talk about. One is a am I crazy question. I don't think okay. I am. I want to get your thoughts. And the other is a random pick that has no statistical basis. And this may be another if he wins, I'll drink a <laughs> bottle of syrup or something like that. Um, and, and I have a funny story that goes along with that, how I got Perfect. to this. So um, Jim Furyk is the guy that I'm looking at. I, I okay. think there's a opportunity for him to perform pretty well. I, I don't know if he has an opportunity to win, but he's a, an amazing competitor and he has a great record here for a guy who has the PGA tour experience that he has. He's only played six events here. Uh, his worst finish is T 58. So he's never missed the cut. He has a T three, a T six in 2013, 2014. And his last finishes are a tied 26 and a tied 23rd in 18 and 19. So it's a guy who's familiar with the course um, and and if you look at what he's done recently on the PGA Tour, Honda Classic didn't go the way that he hoped, but he came in 26th at the Genesis. He came in 21st at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. And I'm wondering if those kind of courses where short game is a little more valuable, distance isn't, uh, isn't a prerequisite, if this is a sign that the guy's just playing some good golf. So I kind of like going with a Jim Furyk. This is the kind of course where I think you could get a veteran, he or maybe even a Zach Johnson, who's in the 8K range. I think those two guys are really interesting to me this week. So there's, uh, I think there's at least two par fives on this course that are over 600 yards. And I wonder if, since those are kind of three shot holes for everybody, if guys like Furyk who can just, okay, well, this was going to be a three shotter for me anyway. And I was going to hit a wedge in there from, uh, you know, a hundred yards. Like that might not be so bad. What's most impressive, Greg, is like, you look at his year by year, like this guy has, is just as good with his irons now as he was like six years ago. Like he I is know. defiant. Like how is that possible? Yeah. It's it's really good. He is just a, but Mark, Mark would call him a flusher. It's yeah. one of those guys, the swing, it doesn't look like it. You wouldn't think of him as a great ball striker, but hearing the sound of Jim Furyk hit a ball is impressive. It's, it's just impressive. There's, no face rotation in that swing. And that's why it lasts so long. So I wouldn't be surprised if he had a great, if he had a great week this week. Let me give you my story. This oh, is like yes. kind of the, these, these are the numbers, right? This is like the lotto pick, you know, a sign from somewhere else. Well, so I'm sitting there on Sunday. I'm looking at my computer. I have the field up in front of me and it has pictures. Right? I'm scrolling through who's playing this week, just kind of getting my feet wet. And my son who comes up in this episode yet again, <laughs> he comes over and says, dad, are you, are, are you looking at, at golfers? And he's saying, are you, uh, who, who won? And it's just so random. I said, well, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Who's going to win? And so he sits on my lap, and I'm scrolling through, and he points. He says, him. And he points to, drum roll, please, uh, Ted Potter Jr. TPJ. Oh, <laughs> <wow>. Yep. <laughs> so I wanted to get that out there. If Ted Potter Jr. wins... You can credit my uh, three-year-old son, Mac. So we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, Ted Potter Jr., maybe you take a roll on that. 
TPJ rocking and rolling. I had one. Uh, I, I don't ever remember my dreams. I, I don't really ever. I just I just never remember them. I the one dream that I remember is I bet the dream was that I won a Keegan Bradley ticket at sixty six to one, and it like changed my life, and I was like a millionaire after that. And when I woke up, I checked Keegan's number that week, and he was like, I swear he was like sixty six to one or seventy to one. And I was like, oh my god, like this is this is it. I've got this. I've got this. I, I put, I was like, this is it. I've got my sign. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, I'm pretty sure he never even sniffs the cut line. He was like <laughs> finished like 130th, but, uh, yeah, sometimes they work out. Sometimes. Yeah, they don't. So, uh, so let's go with Ted Potter jr. This week. Perfect. <laughs> Love it. Uh, see, ya. I had Roger Sloan picked up here because while it hasn't been a lot of great for Roger Sloan, uh, he's the only guy in the $6,000 range that can boast three consecutive top 25 finishes. And if you could pencil me in for a top 25 finish from anybody in the 6K range, especially someone like Sloan, who I believe is 6,700, I would take it and sprint away from you. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was looking at, too. I mean, his recent form is great. He doesn't have much of a track record here. Miscut in 2019, that's that's all I see. So, uh, again, three top 25s in the last three tournaments. Again, we might be dealing with some wind. He obviously had no problem with that last week at the Corrales. So he's just a guy that kind of pops for me because he might be in a form that would really dictate, hey, maybe this is a 7K guy and he's just you know uh, at a 6K price right now. Okay, gentlemen, before we get out of here, any other 6K flyers that we need to touch on? Well, I can't go an entire show without mentioning Cam Percy's name. So nice. Cam Percy is a maybe a safe, limited upside play that, that I'll probably have in a lineup or two. See what his headshot looks like. Does he look intimidating? Oh, yeah. See, of course he's a – oh, that's tough. No, maybe not. Uh, so I got, got, I got one other for our, sure. uh, for our viewers. This is not a 6K guy. This is now cycling back to guys we missed. Do we have to get into Carlos Ortiz? Oh, thank you. Yes. Carlos Ortiz came up in the chat. Ho, ho, Tan. Carlos Ortiz. Greg, thank you very much for bringing that up. So let's talk about Carlos Ortiz, who is in the midst of his best driving season of his career. The game's coming around. It's his best overall uh, season of his career. He makes a ton of eagles, Greg. Is there anything else that stands out to you about young Carlos Ortiz? Interesting thing about Ortiz is he won the last event before the week before the Masters, right, with oh, the yeah. Vivian Houston Open. And it just, it, I don't know, it may be a, another parallel uh, to, to use Sia's term, uh, take a, a stroll down Narrative Street. That would be interesting. <laughs> and it, it would, for Carlos Ortiz, it would be another uh, completely overshadowed victory where you don't even remember it because DJ came in second and Masters is the next week. And as soon as that gets like swept under the rug right away, because again, it's the it's the last final before spring, uh, before summer break. Everybody's mind is on Masters. Uh, but Carlos Ortiz here, he does have one really nice finish, which is a tied 15th in 2015, where believe it or not, he shot uh, 79 in the first round and came in tied 15th. Wow. So it's a golf course that can play tough and it can bring a lot of guys in. But Carlos Ortiz is having a great year. I, I think he's an interesting he, candidate. He really is. So after the win in Houston, he backed it immediately up with a, an eighth place finish at Mayakobi, finished 14th at Sony, fourth at Phoenix, and another 15th place finish at the workday, the WGC. This is this is uh, a pretty good stretch of this golf kid that can most play. people probably, probably don't understand he's going through. Yeah, he, he can really play. I, I wouldn't look past him. He's not a bad pick. Sweet. See a final thoughts. You good. I'm good. Let's go. Let's uh, this is the warm up to the masters as far as I'm concerned. So let's get warmed up. All right.
That'll do it for our DFS preview for this week's Valero Texas Open. Big thanks to producer Jacob behind the scenes. That right there is Sia Najad. You can find him on Twitter at Sia Najad. It's Greg Ducharme, who you can get all the hottest nerf takes at the real <laughs> GFD. And you can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been the first cut, and we'll catch you next time. Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the Men's Sunday Performance Jogger And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.